0: the thing that is most important in any kind of Bible study is that uh, our hearts hear. Our hearts experience. Somebody once told me the motif of Christian theology is we believe that we might understand. But the motif of spirituality is this. We believe that we may experience So I'm praying tonight that as we look at the book of Colossians, that we will experience the word himself. Taste, touch, sense. I pray God make himself audible to us tonight. I pray God make himself tangible to us, sensible, edible even. That we would imbibe him that we would hear through the scriptures, breathe him in, that we might be changed on the inside. That's that's my prayer. I know Charles Spurgeon was once asked, what is more important, reading the Bible or a prayer? And his response was, you tell me what's more important, breathing in or breathing out. So we're going to look at the scriptures and see what we can hear and sense from the Lord in the book of Colossians. I want to start also by saying I am not a scholar. (laughs) I am not someone who has a degree in New Testament theology. You know, I speak to you as one who has found things most precious to me. I speak to you as one who has uh, loved the Lord through this book for for years now, I want to submit to you that things that I say are partial to me, not that I'm trying to interpret the scriptures to meet myself, but it's the things that I can see as I read the book plainly, contextually. So I submit these things to you to take back to the Lord. If you know anything about the Lord, you know that he wants you to take everything back to him so he can say it to you. (laughs) There are wonderful teachers in the world and we can receive so much from them. But uh, Jesus intends that teachers give you things to bring back to him so that he can say them to you. Because they... They lodge in the brain easier than they lodge into the heart. And it is John Bunyan who said, I never know a thing well until it's burned into my heart by prayer. So I I would encourage you to, not just tonight, but in life, any teacher you hear, any book you read, bring it back to the secret place because there. It will move past something you know, and it will begin to glow on the inside of you. It will be lively when Him who is life speaks it to you. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, the book of Colossians. Again, I'm speaking to you not from a theological uh, standpoint, someone who's been educated uh, I don't have anything against education in biblical curriculums or theology. I'm not against it at all. As a matter of fact, I wish I had the funds to be able to do something like that. I would I would dive into it. Um, but I speak to you tonight because these things in this book are so special to me, and I submit them to you. So turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to start with a story, which is the summary of the entire book. My youngest daughter and I were laying down in the grass, looking up at the stars together. She says to me, just like children do, she says, Daddy, there's so many stars in the sky. And I said, Yes, baby, there are. And she says, Where do they go in the daytime? Now, I smiled and said, oh, baby, they're always there. The stars are always there. You just can't see them because the sun is so high and so bright that they they disappear. And when I said this to her, I felt that glorious nudge. You know what I'm talking about. That tender, sweet tap on the shoulder from the Holy Spirit, and I felt in my heart, like He was saying to me, that's the message of Colossians. You say, how so? Well, when you lift the Son of God to the heights, He extinguishes all the other lights. And when you take the Son of God out of the heights, you begin to see all kinds of other lights. And that is what we're going to look at here, The Colossians have, based upon this book, we can see the Colossians have lowered Christ. And because they've lowered Christ, they're seeing all kinds of other things. You know, one uh, teacher that I enjoy said to me one time, he was on a plane and a person was on the phone next to him. And the person was saying, yes, I'll be there tomorrow night. Yes, I'll bring a pie. Is so-and-so going to be there? And he says this to say that though he couldn't hear the other person on the other side of the conversation, he could draw conclusions based upon the one side of the conversation that he was able to hear. For instance, there's an event of some kind tomorrow night. This guy's bringing something to eat And he's asking if another person's going to be there. So we have a couple of conclusions we can draw, even though we haven't heard the other side, of uh, what's going to happen. And that's very similar to what studying one of these letters is like. You're hearing one side. And in looking at that one side or the things spoken to them, you can realize what's going on with them. That's how we can say that they've lowered Christ out of the heights. Because what Paul does in the letter is lift Christ back into the heights. And what Paul does in this letter is show all the lights that are able to be seen when Christ is taken out of the heights. I hope that makes sense to you. So let's look at what this actually means for us today. When we no longer see Christ as preeminent, the first thing that happens to us is we begin to no longer have faith in the perfection of His work. You can tell who has Christ in their heart preeminently because they recognize Christ's perfect work. As a matter of fact, if Christ is not preeminent above all, then it's easy to think Christ's work is not complete. And when you believe Christ's work is not complete, you start adding all kinds of other things. So that's what we're going to look at, as well as what happens once you no longer have complete faith in what Jesus Christ has completed for you, what happens after that is we lose the sense of God's presence in our lives. And this is also addressed in the letter. So we're going to hit three major points. The preeminence of Christ, if you're taking notes, I would write this down. The preeminence of Christ, the perfection of his work, (laughs) and his presence on the inside. And we'll see also the problems that happen when these things are, are, are lost. So just turn to Colossians chapter 1. I want to show you how he exalts Christ. In verse 15, he says this. He, Jesus, is, not was, only, or will be in the future. He is, Jesus is, the image, a definite article there, he is the image. He's not one image among many. He is the image, the image of what? Of the invisible God. So as we'll see, they have different uh, thoughts and arguments have come up about Christ and if is he included with other things? Is it is it just Jesus or is it Jesus and these other things? Paul is saying. This is God, guys. Jesus is the visible God. He is God able to be seen. So he says, "Let's just decapitate any competition whatsoever to Christ by saying he is God able to be seen." And you say, Eric, but you know we all know that. I mean, we're we're you know we're in in Europe, we're in the UK. You know, you're in America. Everybody knows that as a Christian, that Jesus is God. Well, I would like to believe that, but a lot of times people have the right doctrine in the brain, but you can tell by their lifestyle, it's not what they really believe. And we're going to look at what kind of problems come about by that, but let's look further at what he says about him. Jesus is the v- image of the invisible God. Look at this—the firstborn of all creation. Oh, this is incredible, because the title "firstborn" has to do with a state of like preeminence or a uh, uh, a superiority. Firstborn, God has in Exodus four twenty-two, Israel's His firstborn son, son among the nations. So Israel is above all the other nations, and so Christ is the firstborn, the superior to all of creation. But then someone would say, I mean, it says here that he's the firstborn among creation. Does that mean Jesus is created? Well, no. It shows us that he who created all things entered into the things he created. He made humanity and then enters into humanity. So the creator enters inside Of the things he created. Therefore, he is superior to all the created things. Subjecting himself to creation, he is the firstborn among all creation. So he's nailing down the fact that you can't come close to Christ. They're wanting to add this, that, and the other. And again, we'll look at what those things are but he's trying to nail it down from the very beginning. You can't get any greater than this man, Christ Jesus. He goes on to say here, for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth. So not just the things that that can be seen as he goes on to say here, things visible and invisible, not just the things that can be seen, but also the things that can't be seen. He is the origin of all that can be seen and all that can't be seen he is the origin of all the things that are on the earth and also all the things in the heavens so he's trying to pull jesus so high in their minds so that it crushes any competition against him. Listen, he you don't understand he's saying, he didn't just make the world, guys. He made the world and the worlds you don't know. He he is he is the one who is incredibly superior to everything that can be seen, but listen, he's even greater than the stuff you can't even see. I mean, we think of little glimpses in the scriptures where angels appeared to men and the, the angels were so incredible that men fell on their faces. I mean, in, in John, I think it's uh, in Revelation 19, 10, I think it is, or 10, 19, one of the two, he, he sees the angel and falls down to worship him and the angel says, get up, get up. Uh, there's this otherworldliness worldliness that is even superior to the world we know, but Jesus just He's not just superior in the world we know. He's superior in the world that is superior to our world. I remember Charles Spurgeon once wrote, There isn't an item on earth that excels the smallest item in heaven. And then he follows that by saying, There isn't an item in heaven that excels the smallest measure of Jesus So we're seeing here, Christ is being pulled up so high, being placed so high, so as to decapitate, to completely dissolve any competition to him whatsoever. It goes on here, he says, For by him, all things were created both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. Now look, look at this, and for him. Not only did he create everything, but all the things that are created are for him. He is the possessor of all of them. He owns all of them. This is crazy. He's like, listen, he's not just incredibly the one who... Uh, increases everything. He's not just the one who created everything. He's also the one for whom all things were created. Uh, To me, this is just uh, so indicative of the fact that there literally is not even one that can come close to him. And we're going to look at why again, he's doing this. He goes on and it says, he is before all things, (laughs) man, Some people think wisdom is ears. Well, Jesus is before all things. So what wisdom can compare to that? <laughs> he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is these idols that people begin to worship. He is the substance that enables things to be held together. It's ridiculous that those that beat Jesus, Jesus was supplying the air for them to breathe. He's transcendent above all and paul is saying look at who he is look at who i'm talking about don't let this slip your notice don't let jesus become like an addition or some side issue remember what we're ta- remember who we're talking about when we talk about the one son of god he goes on here and he says he is also the head of the body so now he he shows you not only that he's preeminent above all things, but what his place is to you. He is your head. In other words, you have no life apart from him. He's your head. He's your leader. He is superior to you in the Christian reality. He is transcendent above all. He is the head of all. This entire situation, this whole temple that we're a part of, this whole family that we're a part of. Just like if I if I was decapitated now, I couldn't move my body. The brain causes the movement of, of all the body. Jesus is the brain of the body. He's literally the only animation there is for the church. If you no longer are connected to the head, you lose the ability to move whatsoever. You lose the ability to have any vitality or life whatsoever. And he's saying, this is who Jesus is. So now we're going to go on from here and see that he points out that they're messing with their vitality by adding to Christ and trying to bring in additions. They are literally putting in jeopardy the life that comes into them by Christ being their head. So we have here the firstborn. uh, He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. The preeminence of Christ, again, is what we're talking about. He goes on from there and he says, it was the father's good pleasure For all the fullness to dwell in him. He's saying if you're looking for God, all of God is found in Christ. And he's saying if you're looking at Christ, you can find all of God. He's saying there is nothing of God that is outside of this man, Christ Jesus. And he's doing this because of the infiltrations that are coming from different thought patterns in this region. So, Christ is the only supernatural reality revelation of God. There is nothing that a man can see from God apart from Christ. And Paul is trying to show them that if they leave Christ, they've left God. If they don't have Christ, they have no vitality. They're forgetting who he is and who it is that we're being, that's being talked about. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the sun is so bright right? And all the candles in the world cannot replace the light of the sun. If the sun is not out, all the candles in the world won't make a day. And Paul is trying to say, you take all the candles in the world, put them together, and they, they're they still laughable next to the rays, blinding rays of the sun. And that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, Jesus is brightness extreme, Stop putting anything next to Him. Stop putting anything close to Him. Stop adding anything to Him. Jesus is preeminent. Now, part of what I said earlier, what happens to a person when Jesus is brought low, they begin to see other lights. One of those lights that they begin to see is these things that I like to call additions. That Christ and, you know, Christ did everything for me, but are like Christ is... the the perfect sacrifice for my sin, he's imputed righteousness, but this is an issue because the moment you add to Christ's work, you no longer believe it because to believe in Christ's work is to abandon yourself completely to him and his work. You can't separate Christ and his work. And we'll see that right here because he goes on and he says, and through him to reconcile All things to himself. Remember what he just said. The fullness of God is in Jesus. And now that fullness of God, who is Jesus, reconciles. He performs a work to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, Jesus is the one who has reconciled by his own power, He says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, if, if is the biggest word in scripture, if indeed you continue in the faith. So what are we saying here? He's saying he's done it. He made you holy. He made you completely blameless. He took away from you all of the reproach. He has reconciled you completely to God. Now, there's the big, now here comes the big word. If, if what? You continue in the faith. In other words, you hold on, settled in your trust in Christ. So what is being shot at here in Colossus is faith in Christ, the all-sufficient one. The arrows are coming from different thought patterns, arguments, wisdoms, uh, you know, different religious sacrifices and things. These arrows are all being shot at something. And what it is is this, the sufficiency of Christ Not just the sufficiency of his person, but also the sufficiency of his work. And this is so important for us to hold on to such a faith, a faith that is completely dependent upon the man, Christ Jesus. So the preeminence of Christ and the perfection of his work. If you can't see Christ as preeminent, you'll never believe his work is perfect, You can only believe His work is perfect if you believe the preeminence of who He is, the perfection of who He is. Perfect work from a perfect God. The perfection of the work is because He Himself is perfect. A work from a man can never transcend what the man is in and of himself. That's why Christ's work can never be added to. That's why Christ's work cannot be improved upon. It's because He can't be improved upon. His excellencies excel the ability to be understood And so the perfections of his work excel the ability to be understood. That's why by faith we receive what Jesus has done. Now, another thing here that he calls their attention to, and it's in 27 of the first chapter. It says this, he's talking about the word that he's been able to carry to them. He talks about this this mystery that's been hidden and he calls it, Here in 27, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ inside of you. So we have, (laughs) this is crazy, (laughs) we have this incredible God who created all things, is above all things, holds all things together, works all things after the counsel of his own will. He is supremely and superior above all All and everything that there is. Everything serves him. Everything is his. This this highest supreme being that there is, we have him. Then we have him working on our behalf as sovereign and as glorious as he is, his work is. And that's given to us. But then he doesn't just stop there. He installs that glorious God on the inside. That's the gospel. The perfection of his work based upon the preeminence of his person that enables us to have his presence on the inside. The presence on the inside, Paul reminds them of, because these thought patterns that are coming in have them thinking that there's something that needs to be added to what Jesus did. And he's saying what Jesus did installed God in you. what What are you looking for? What else do you want? What are you trying to do? God has become a man and worked as a man for you and then installed himself in you. What are you looking for? What else is there? He's He's got this, this glorious glisten in his eye, a romantic satisfaction with Christ and a jealousy to see that Christ receives all that he is in their lives. Now let's look at some of the problems, some of the things that start happening when we forget the preeminence of Christ, the perfection of his work and his presence on the inside. In the first chapter, verse 23, we looked at it already, but it says here, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I Paul was made a minister. So he's showing us here that one of the things that starts happening is faith in Christ is no longer sufficient. There's something more that needs to to be added. Also, the hope of the gospel, the expectation of the gospel is has lost its this it's anticipation it's it's lost its power then he goes on and he says this that i've been made to proclaim he says i'm proclaiming this and we know in 27 what he's proclaiming is christ in you the hope of glory so what's happening when we remove christ from the heights is we begin to see these other lights one of which is we think we need to add to what jesus has done Another one is the expectation has lost its luster. And number three, the reality of Christ on the inside of us becomes a, a an afterthought. The presence of Christ does not have attention anymore. Another thing too, I want you to notice something in Galatians chapter 1, verse 7 and, f- and 5, 10. You see that um, the Galatians even were being, quote, disturbed. These men of the circumcision were coming in and disturbing their faith. Look at this word, disturb, okay? Paul is upset with that in Galatia, in the Galatians, and he's saying they're trying to unsettle, disturb your faith. And what Paul is saying here, he uses the same word, but the opposite, and he's saying that, that we must be settled in our faith. So what is happening in Colos and what the devil likes to do and what human nature does is try to unsettle the rest that comes by simply believing and putting faith in what Jesus has done. Um, Another thing too here is look at chapter two, verse four. And some of these things may bleed together, I know, but verse four, look at this. It says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. So we see that there's these, these arguments that are contrasted, with the verse before it, which is the riches of wisdom and knowledge are inside of Christ. So you have wisdom and riches inside of the person of Jesus Christ. And then you have these arguments, these delusions, these actual um, persuasive arguments. So you have two things on either side. And what Paul is trying to say is that the riches that there are in Jesus You're replacing the riches that you have found in the person of Christ for these arguments, for these reasons, for these actual uh, foreign thought patterns? He's like, are you kidding me? The riches trump the arguments. What you experience in the person of Jesus Christ far exceeds the the wisdoms of this world. He's actually saying, in a sense, I'm not going to condescend from Christ to human brilliance. What I have in Christ transcends logics. As a matter of fact, if you look up the word there, one of the words that's used in this is the word we get our word logic from. So there's reasonings that are trying to slip in to get us to add to the person of Christ. The deception is to reason in other things. That's the problem. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3, when Paul is jealous for them to be, you know, uh, betrothed to one husband, he talks about the serpent beguiling, tricking Eve and their minds led astray from the simplicity and purity of Christ. And so this attack comes on the mind. And it is to get you to reason in other faiths, other trusts. But there is only one trust. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So one of the words that's used there is a word that is has to do with captivity or being kidnapped. And another translation of this Verse here has to do with being stripped by the love of wisdoms. So something is lost when you add to Christ. If you want to subtract, then add. Every time we add to Christ, we subtract from the perfections of what He has done for us. It may be teachings of all different kinds. As a matter of fact, Paul calls them hollow teachings, if you will, or or teachings that. Leave a man empty, empty deceptions, he calls them. You can tell this because when you hear teachings that don't have Christ as their source and center, you leave and you feel empty. Even though you just listen to an entire sermon, you feel as if you were not fed. But you cannot come to Christ who is bread and not leave having been fed. The satisfaction that comes. From the person of Christ partaken of, experienced, tasted, far exceeds all the logics, all the wisdoms, all these uh, love of wisdoms and traditions, even culture, even religious things that are done, they all pale in comparison to tasting, imbibing, and eating uh, the Lord. So, he talks about this delusion which comes from, quote, logic Natural mind, you know, James 3.15 tells us that the natural wisdom is earthly and demonic. It literally makes sense to the natural man, but is contrary to absolute abandoned faith in Christ. Uh, So another thing here that that he talks about, look at chapter 2, verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. Whoa, did you see that? Now, I know a lot of people want to take this phrase out of the Bible, but you can't. It's right here. In him, that's by faith, surrendering faith to the person and work of Christ. In him, you have been made complete. 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 Nothing to be added. Now, you say immediately people start saying, well, you're telling me that I can't grow? and the lord no 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 that's not what i'm saying i'm saying as far as salvation by grace through faith imputed righteousness and right standing before god christ has already completely accomplished it on your behalf and what they're going through here is they're not believing that anymore and he t- has to remind them that They can't complete something that's already been made complete. If you try to complete what's already been made complete, then you start deleting. (laughs) So uh, if you look at 16 and 17 of the same chapter, he says here, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Look at these things that are being said, religious practices of different kinds, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. When we use any kind of means, uh, or let, let me say it like this, whenever we eclipse the object of Christ with a means then what we've done is given attention to a shadow over a person. When I come to meet you, I don't stare at your shadow and try to communicate with your shadow. I can't know you by your shadow. I can't experience you or touch you by your shadow. It is literally just a figure of something that's so much greater. Jesus is the reality of what these things are shadowing and the fact that they're running to the shadows and exalting the shadows and forgetting the person this is a major problem because there's no life in a shadow. There's only life in a person. And so we see that here um, with, with uh, what he's saying in 16. Um, he says, let no one keep defrauding you. Man, this word defrauding is, is crazy. It has to do with being stripped. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on vision he's seen, visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and look at this, not holding fast ahead. So I just named a bunch of things there in those couple of verses. There's the self delighting and self-abasement. Abasement. There is the worship of angels, visions, taking your stand of visions you've seen, inflated with your natural mind. But all of these things share one root issue. You can see this, that, or the other, label them however you want, Fill in the blank with whatever you want. The root issue is the same, and it is right there in the 19th verse. Not holding fast to the head. Once we let go of our clinging life to the presence of Christ, because of faith in what he has done and a worship of who he is, once we let go of that, we lose Animation from the Spirit. We lose the empowering reality of his presence. We lose the uh the essence of satisfaction, and then we begin to by this look at Christ as insufficient, unable to be everything for us. So this not holding fast ahead is the problem. It says here, "From whom the entire body being supplied and held together. So if you want supply in your life, it's going to come from clinging to Jesus, His presence in your life. There's no supply for you outside of him. It says here, held together. If we want to be in unity, and not just unity, but if we want to be kept and protected, held together, and grow with a growth that comes from God, if we want God to cause us to mature and increase in this reality of Christian life, Christian union with Christ, then we have to hold on to Christ. And what these guys are doing is they're basically professing Jesus is not sufficient. So they've let go of holding on to only Christ. And let me just say something here. You can't hold on to Christ and other things. The holding onto Christ is with both hands. You can only hold Christ with both hands. You can't hold Christ with one hand and hold something else as well. Christ is a two-hand grab. (laughs) And so these guys have let go of Christ in order to grab onto these things that they feel they need to be either, quote, more spiritual, quote, closer to God, quote, more complete, quote, more uh uh saved more sure in their salvation more righteous even and let's just get let's just talk about this for a second <sighs> many times these days i've slipped into it many times where i feel like if i do religious things or have more religious restrictions in my life that I'm becoming more complete. I feel like I'm doing quote, my part to complete what Jesus has done. I know nobody would actually say this, but it happens here in the heart. I'll give you an example. Why are you fasting? What's the reason? Do you fast from knowing you please God? Are you fasting to please God? Do you fast from his pleasure or do you fast for his pleasure? There's a major difference because one of them is in rest in faith. The other one is because you don't have rest in faith. And so these guys are delighting in self-abasement as a matter of fact if you if you were to look at the last Verse of this uh, second chapter, it says, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. They look wise, but they're self made religion. It's a devotion that you made up. It, it's not faith in Christ. You're making up things that you think are going to increase you. Self abasement. Self abasement. In other words, you are, uh, as a matter of fact, this word goes down to choosing poverty. Uh, This has to do with choosing the harm of your own body. It has to do with not enjoying yourself for the sake of gaining something from God. These things are additions. These things are expressions of lack of faith. These things are testifying to the Lord what he has done is not enough. And he says the severe treatment of the body, the severe treatment of the body, these are of no value against fleshly indulgence so severe treatment of the body so so somebody can um be somebody people can delight themselves in the practice of fasting instead of delighting in God through fasting are you understanding and it's not just fasting some people can delight themselves in the fact that they're praying and not delight in God through prayer. Some people can uh, delight in the fact that they're worshiping or singing songs or doing some type of religious practice and all the while never delight in God through that thing. When the means eclipse the object, we have idolatry on our hands. And Paul is trying to make the son of God seem the way that he is so that the brightness extreme will disintegrate and dissolve that moon that has been placed in front of him. Um, So I I say this because I, I find a lot of times, especially in the cultures that I'm a part of, is that we tend to adopt an ascetic type of mentality. And we feel that you know i can get closer to god if i if i do these things listen christ has united you with god so your development in life is the recognition of and enjoyment of that union it's not to gain union it's to enjoy and grow thereby i remember i asked reinhard Bunke one time <laughs> I had just gotten hired on at CFAN. This is probably 2002 or something. And I was, you know, I had been fasting and praying and and, and trying to gain more power, or get spiritual brownie points from God. And I had all these things. I was praying like four hours a day. And and I was thinking to myself, I wonder how much Reinhard Bunke prays, you know? And so I went to Pastor Bunke As a matter of fact, I had picked him up from the airport. He's in the car. And I said to him, Pastor Bunky, uh, can can I ask you a question? He says, yes, you can. I said, how much do you pray a day? (laughs) He saw right through my question and went right into my problem. And his answer was this. He says, I do not pray to get close to God. He says, I pray because I am close to God when he said this i was infuriated i didn't say anything to him obviously i respect the man but i was so young and i didn't realize what he was saying i was i was angered because i felt i was agitated because i felt he was arrogant he said he is close to god he prays from the fact that he is close to god who in the world does he think he is And now that I've become older and read the Bible a lot more, I realize Bunky spoke from settled faith and trust in the gospel. (laughs) Bunky was settled in the fact that Jesus had united him with God. And from his enjoyment of that union given to him by the perfect work of the perfect one with the presence within, he just enjoyed it and grew thereby, holding fast to the head by fellowship, growing with a growth that comes from God. I'm not trying to say, don't fast. I'm not trying to say, don't pray. I hope that's not what you hear. I hope to communicate to you that what Jesus has done is so perfect that nothing be added to it, so that everything that is done is a lead by the Spirit. As a matter of fact, as I referenced earlier, uh, the scripture says in uh, Matthew chapter 4, as a matter of fact, the last verse in Matthew chapter 3, it says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and fast. He's fasting. All that to say, Jesus being the one that God said he was pleased with, Jesus knew he was pleased, pleasing to the Father. From that place, Jesus was led by the Spirit into fasting. So let me encourage you. Let your life be lived that way, knowing that Christ has stood before God as you so that you could stand before God as Christ. Knowing that God's pleasure with the perfect Christ is now upon you because of Christ's perfect work for you. From there, look at the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Spirit lead you into whatever He wants to teach you, whatever He wants to guide you into, however He wants to empower you or quicken you or cover you. Uh, Just delight in the fellowship with Him who is installed on the inside. That is the root of the gospel. If we miss this delight with the spirit who is on the inside, then the work Christ did was in vain. And the perfection of who he is and coming into the world was also in vain. The perfect God perfectly worked for you so that you might have his presence within and he might guide you, not with law and right and wrong, but by a living Vibrant experience and reality of the person of Christ on the inside. Now we'll close out here, and I want to look at chapter three real quick. You may be asking, okay, I believe the preeminence of Christ. Jesus is like none, no, no other. He is the highest there is. Eric, I believe that. Number two, you know what, Eric? I do believe Jesus's work is perfect, and there's nothing that needs to be added to it. I'm free. And I'm holy and pure because Christ has given that to me by his perfect work, not because of myself. I realized that and I put my faith in it. And number three, I want to live attentive to the presence of the spirit and live my life out like that. How do I do it? Colossians three, verse one shows you how to do this. It says here, therefore, If you have been raised up with Christ, have you been raised up with Christ? Yes, because you went down into death with him by believing his perfect work and raised to life by him because that's part of his perfect work. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep your attention upon, keep seeking the things that are above. What are the things that are above? Well, I'll tell you what, what they are. They are the person of Christ because he is all in all. He is the essence of all the things glorious in the heavens. Keep seeking the things above, the superior one, Christ, where Christ is. This is also beautiful to look at where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, he is at the right hand, which is a place of affection. He's at the right hand, which is a place of authority. Christ himself is the wonderful, perfect Son of God reigning on high beside God. And these are the things. His rule of rest. He's seated. That's rest. The restful rule of Christ needs to have our attention. So how do I stay attentive to the Spirit? Well, you set your mind, your affection, set your affection on the things above. Christ's rest rule. Christ reign in rest. Not on things of the earth. You have to make sure your attention is not stolen by the things below. Because the things below always take your attention from the things above. Now, someone may say, well, am I not supposed to like pay my bills? No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the things below being the displeasing things of the world. The the value system of the world, the way the world values things, that's the paradigm that Paul's pulling them away from. It's from the world; it has its origin in the world, and it's deadly. Uh, so he says here, "For Christ, for for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be you will also be revealed with Him in glory." Therefore, consider your members dead. How do you consider your members dead? Well, I have a really good little way to look at that. You consider your members dead by no longer considering them. (laughs) So just don't give any attention to the things below. Keep your mind upon the rule and reign of Christ. If the things below are the complete opposite of keeping your mind on the rule, restful reign of Christ, then the things below are not rest, and it's not Christ, nor is it his rule. It's the rule of self. It's the rule of s- self centeredness, self sufficiency, self supply. So that, and that all of those uh, results are named right here. You can go through them all in purity, passion. But I want to close out with this one. Okay, go to 17. This is amazing. 15, actually he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's the presence of God. Let it arbitrate you. As a matter of fact, the word that's used there has to do with the captain of a ship. Let the sense of God's presence within you that's been given to you by the work of Christ in the gospel, now be the captain of your life, the guiding of you in your life. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Everybody should do this. The entire church should have the internal guidance of the presence of the spirit, the restful rule of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Um, And uh, he goes on in 18 through uh, five, four, five. He talks about how this works out in our daily lives from wives to husbands, children, slaves, uh, whatever you do, you're doing everything in the name of the Lord. How do you do everything in the name of the Lord? It is aware of his person, his excellencies, and his character. It's with a heart set upon him above that enables us to love our wives, enables us to be good parents, enables us to be good servants, enables us to work with all of our heart uh, for God and not for men. Uh, this is the the key for living a life uh, that is the quiet in the land. Those that are uh, linked and synced with the presence of the Spirit, who walk out the character and nature of meekness and kindness in this in this world. There's so much more that we can talk about, but that's kind of like a synopsis for the way that I have seen the book of Colossians. It has helped me tremendously in my life. As a matter of fact, sometimes, when my mind starts getting scattered and I start thinking about all these things or even feel like the lusts of the flesh or the craze of the value systems of this world trying to press in upon me, I will stop for a second and take a deep breath. And through worship unto the Lord, I will say something like this. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, and not on things below. For when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we shall re- be revealed with Him in glory. I, I keep this like right in my the forefront of my mind. Even as I did that right there, I felt my heart, my value system, my understanding, my uh, disposition, my internal paradigm the immaterial center of my being just go right up and lock upon that wonderful rule and reign of Christ and sense the sweet peace of God that now I yield to and allow to arbitrate and guide my heart and my life.